Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Today's topic, I actually picked a topic for today's show, is redlining. We have two parts to today's show. Our first half guest and our second half guest, we're going to be really just honing in on redlining and how that really affects us in our environments in which we live in, from um, the green spaces to the water, down to our schools, just everything when it comes down to redlining, how that actually affects environmental justice and where that inter- that um, how it intersects and then how it actually connects at the same time. So first, to kick off our show, um, I went to the Human Rights Coalition because I'm like, they got some people in there that got some information for the streets. You feel me? They got some people in there that's keeping their ears to the streets. So I was like, yo, BP, can you come through on Eco Word this morning? So right now we got B Preston on the line with us right now. He's about to educate us and re-educate us about some things that he knows about redlining and how he can also how we can also you know come up with some solutions that can probably help us and the envi- the effects the infections that we're going through right now based on our environment. If that makes sense. But BP, welcome to Eco Word. How you feeling this morning? You know, I'm feeling really well. PLC, thanks for having me on this morning. It's, it's gonna be a good time. No doubt. You know, uh, when I hit up Shakabuna and he said, I got the right person for you. I trusted that for sure. But BP, right. go ahead and introduce yourself and let the people know exactly who they're listening to. So I am BP. I'm one of the lead organizers in the campaign called the Toxic Prisons Campaign, uh, which is one of the arms of the Human Rights Coalition. So I've been working with them for the last uh, for the last three and a half years now. Um Leading, leading movements, developing documentary regarding uh, regarding incarceration. The documentary is entitled "I Can't Breathe: um, Toxic Prisons Campaign Fight for Environmental Justice uh, in Pennsylvania Prisons." No doubt. Um, and we actually talked with Shakabuna about that situation. And that's something I actually want to dive a lot deeper into. Honestly, as you know, we talk about um, gun violence and violence that's happening. We are looking for, for, for these people to go somewhere and be rehabilitated. Right. But at right. the same time, they're coming out with more health effects that they had before they went inside. So that's definitely a conversation we need to talk about as far as environmental justice. But today I really want to hone in on this redlining situation, right? So when you think of redlining, some of us may know what that is and some of us may not know what that is. Can you break it down to us in your own words? So redlining is one of the lasting lasting structural uh, violent activities of former enslavement in, in the United States of America. It took hold after the formal... Uh, the formal ending of enslavement um, following like the Jim Crow era. So we're looking we're looking really into the 1930s um, when in Philadelphia there were there were laws established to keep black people in um, out of housing and to create spaces where black people would be gathered together. Um, and graded. Various neighborhoods were graded. I believe the grading system went from A to D. Um, it may have gone. It may have gone a little further. Mm-hmm. Um, but the baseline was A to D, and the lower the lower letters uh, were the most difficult, cheap, uninhabitable, deteriorated, dilapidated communities. And so this occurred. So there was a map drawn in Philadelphia in 1937 of redlining. 
And those zip codes at that time, it has flipped and it has changed now. Some of oh, the, yeah, for sure. <laughs> some of, the, some sure, of those areas, sure. some of those areas like, you know, South Philly, Rittenhouse South Philly, Square, yes. <laughs> uh, which were considered dilapidated in the places where they wanted to shove Even all the black South people. Street. South Street right. used to be blacker than black at one point, right. for sure. Right. Right. Um, and I actually watched a movie about Philadelphia, and that's how I learned about South Street, you know, the yeah. core and the roots of South Street. But right. I want to ask you this question, BP, right? Because I feel like we we try to um, shine things up and polish things up way too much, right? Right. So when we talk right. about environmental justice, and I think about redlining, I just straight think about environmental racism. Like, I just think that that is just what environmental racism is. But we advocate for environmental justice and the injustices that was done to us based on the right. environments and what they, they put us in. So when right. we think about Philadelphia neighborhoods, what type of environmental justices would you say that Philadelphians face every day being in, in certain zip codes like well, the ones we were just talking about? So, yeah. So right now, when we're talking about redlining, we're, we're talking about placing black people in high, densely populated areas. So right now in Philadelphia, uh zip codes that would be considered redlining are zip codes like 19150. Mm-hmm. Um, one nine one three nine. Um, so we're talking about areas such as you know that um, that uh, one of the Mount Airy areas. Uh, we're talking about uh, just outside of the Overbrook area, yeah. right? We're talking about certain sections of other sections of West Philadelphia, right? And so what we're what we're looking at is we're looking at areas that lack green space. We're looking at areas that have food deserts. We're looking at areas that um, we're, we're looking at areas that don't have proper or sufficient access to medical treatment. Mm-hmm. We're looking at areas where a lot of people wind up incarcerated because uh, housing is inadequate. We're looking at people that wind up incarcerated because from in those same communities where you don't have adequate health, you don't have adequate green space. You also have a lot of other toxins. Right. So those are also the communities where they love to put industry. Yeah. They love to put factories. Right. Like Chester, Pennsylvania, like like Chester, Pennsylvania, like over here, not far from Grace Ferry Avenue. Uh, You know, they have. So when you think about what redlining looks like and how people suffer, they suffer in every conceivable way. Mm -hmm. They suffer in every conceivable way. And then when it comes down to something like 2024, because you mentioned gentrification, right? Right. And and gentrification is supposed to be the complete opposite of redlining, but it's doing something similar where it's pushing a group of people out and pushing them into one space where once again, they're right on top of each other. So when you think about People can when you think about, I would say, uh, realtors and people who are coming in, um, buying up these properties, doing the opposite of redlining, which is pushing people out of their neighborhoods. Um, what's your thoughts on that when you when you compare gentrification and redlining together? I remember when Philadelphia started started building uh, started building high, million dollar high rises and they made it very public, right? They we always had the high the high class expensive places. But I remember when they started doing that at the end of the 1990s, like the middle of the 1990s. 
And so the question was, well, what's going to happen? Well, what happened is the taxes were put on the black communities, the black families that had been in the same neighborhood for three and for three and four and maybe five generations at that point. What we're looking at is the same thing. So you have people coming in uh, who in these expensive, tiny little apartments and you have the folk who have been residents there for a long time being forced out. Well, it's called exurbanization. You're moving folk out of their neighborhoods, out, out of their communities, because it's in vogue to be cosmopolitan again, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so part, what that means is you send people out to agrarian, to rural communities, to the second and third levels of the suburbs. And there, they can't fit in. There's nowhere to be. You strip them from what they know, from the communities they're familiar with, from the safeguards, from the from the family, from the from the extended family structures that they have. And you also then tell the people that they continue to not matter to the powers that be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you give them this outrageous loan with an outrageous uh, interest rate on it. And you expect them to go to the suburbs and learn financial literacy overnight. I definitely agree with you on that. I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, and, I want, and I want to ask you specifically about the intersection, right, of redlining right. environmental justice as, as it all comes together, especially on a public health level, right? Right. So when it comes down to environmental justice and the intersection of redlining, how does that affect our public health uh, when it comes down to residents receiving, you know, um, spaces that are green, re- residents receiving spaces that are not necessarily, or walking or living in spaces that are not necessarily food deserts, having at a... Uh, equitable health care, having equitable health um, education and things of that nature. Right. So when we talk about this intersection between redlining, its last its lasting effects, you know, stemming stemming from this violent, this violent racism, this violent enslavement. And we talk about how that affects people with access to everything from food to education, uh, the toxins, clean water. Right. The, the toxins that plague that plague their water, that plague the air that creates all kinds of cancers um, you talk, and brain damage, all sorts of things that happen as a consequence of these lingering toxins and having access to, you said, equitable health care. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are movements going on now where various universities have erected um, have erected health centers. There is a movement going on right now where you have these urgent care centers popping up. That's um, right. Is, is it for profit? Uh, most of them, absolutely. However, the universities are partnering increasingly with church organizations, with community activists and such like that to have clinics when things like COVID emerged in 2020, the end of 2019. Um, you had a lot of our schools in Philadelphia go to different churches, right? There were partnerships. And in these partnerships, people were able to be tested, right? You had people working with other nonprofits across the city who went out to provide free testing, right? And then when the when the formulas were developed, we don't, I, don't, I don't know all the science of these formulas. I have opinions, but my opinions are not scientific. So, <laughs> Right. But you had various organizations partner with churches, with mosques. Right. You had them partner with community organizations. They came in, they pitched a tent, they opened up the doors and they said, listen, we've got the space. You come bring you come bring the all of the implements and tend to our people. Right. We want our people to have a shot. And still it wasn't sufficient. But what we are seeing are increasing numbers of 
nonprofit organizations at the university level and beyond being willing to come into our communities and begin to build these partnerships and attempt to meet some of the medical needs of our communities. And BP, respectfully, I'm going to say they better, you know, like, at this point, <laughs> like right. as they as they should. They, they have a responsibility. They have a huge They have a human responsibility. They're, they're, they're right. taking over what? 20 blocks of the street, no matter right. which universe we talk about. We talk right. about Penn to Temple to Drexel. They right. should be doing all of the work that, that you're talking about. You know, right. Um, right. it would be a disservice to the community if they didn't do the work. Majority of right. them are doing the work now because they've been called out for so many years. Absolutely. About taking up the community, absorbing everything the community have to offer, and right. then just, just leaving us to dry when, it, when it's an emergency on the community. So, yes, absolutely. I think Absolutely. that it is time that these universities pay back to Philadelphian citizens as we continue to pay tax dollars and they continue to buy up all the city. You know, right. like look at what's going on in University City. But that's a whole nother uh, conversation, right? And I wanted to ask you specifically because we were talking about um, equitable access, right? Right. And I know that we you gave an example of of some type of solution, you know, things that are working. I appreciate right. that. I mean, it rain on the parade, but they need to be doing what they're doing. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it is some struggles, right? Because there are. there are some people just like you, grassroots people, people boots on the ground. They don't want to accept just the fact that the um, universities are doing the work. They want our politicians to do the work. They want their our lawmakers. They want policies to change um, in order to really help with some of these zip codes that's been that's affected right. by redlining for so long. And they're still being, right. their environments are being affected every day. So that's when it comes right. come down to the ongoing struggles that you may hear, you know, especially dealing with our prison systems, what are some of the resources that we need in order to help with our um, community in Philadelphia when it comes down to people who don't have these equitable um, spaces of access? Well, what, what we what, what we need. So for, for, for me, what all where it always begins is having the knowledge of who might be around and what small nonprofits, what activist groups, what community groups, what grassroots groups might be around in your areas that have information that you might be, right? So traditionally say, go to your, your local senators or your local council members office and they'll have information that may very well be true, but, gra- but grassroots nonprofits, local activists, right? So for us, what that means for us as activist groups is that we have to get out there in the public and let more people know that we are here. That's right. right? We have to let more people know that we are here. Oftentimes we'll meet with ourselves, we'll meet with our teams, we will meet with other activist groups, but we won't go into the community just to tell people that we are here and to share with them the kind of information, the kind of access that we have. So I think that's really important. The other thing that's really important is for whoever is involved in this equitable distribution of anything from utilities to uh, utility knowledge to moving to moving to a sustainable version of utilities to having access to equitable health care, having access to equitable housing, getting getting politicians involved and not not just looking at and making an assessment of all the racist tactics that we already know exists. That part but actually doing something to change it. So for me, I am, I've am i gotten fed up with people talking about having conversations 
Um, <laughs> just, just like you sat in front of the computer to write all those words to create all of this damage and all this destruction, get back in front of the computer, hit erase, hit delete after you highlight those sections and rewrite something that's going to be equitable and sit down and sign it just like y'all signed all the things that created all this chaos, right? I definitely agree with that. BP, we got I got we got about like two minutes left and I want to ask yep. this last question. And I sure. and I love your passion. I love your energy. And that's why you the play you the person for the job for sure. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to ask you, right, because it's Black History Month and something right. that um when it comes down to redlining that I've learned as I was doing my research for today's conversation is that it was just another move, strategic move to keep us segregated, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Jim Crow has ended, so they couldn't necessarily put it on the law books, black over here, white over there, right? right. And one thing that Martin Luther King said on April 3rd is like, I think I, I messed up. I'm not quoting him correctly, but I pretty much what he's saying is I think I messed up by trying to integrate us, right? I think that mm-hmm. we should have stayed segregated until we got everything together on our end and then we blend everything, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have all our T's crossed and our I's dotted just yet before we try to blend everything and become one, Right. So that's my question that I want to ask you today, similar to something that he was uh, saying along the lines of when it comes down to integration, right? That's one of the reasons why redlining was even created. It was to keep us segregated. And then that's I think that's one of the reasons why gentrification is even happening in, in its full capacity is to keep us segregated, but based on economic reasons, on economic reasons, right? But when it comes down to where we are right now, do we need this integration in our living quarters and how we live in the communities in which we serve. Do you think we need that integration right now as far as the diversity? Because every city is preaching diversity, diversity, diversity. But when you look at the numbers and you look at the neighborhoods, people are still living in their bubbles. People are still living based on zip codes. People are still moving based on um, the economic, the economic line in which others live there before they move there, you know? Right. So if, if you recall, they, they burn black wall street multiple times on the so we, we can't <laughs> right so I don't I don't want us to forget that they burned it down. Um and they burned it down because black people still didn't have the power. Right. So what we're talking about when we're talking about about equity, equity is something that can be desired by those without finance and power, but it's something that has to be something that has to be enacted and a room has to be made by those in power. Hmm. And so as we, you know, I can rail, I can be bothered, I can be upset, I can understand all of the historical realities of structure of the structural violence of racism and how it continues to perpetuate, right? However, if I'm going to move, if I'm going to move the needle, then the reality is we have to get involved in the systems that have the power to make the changes. So when we talk about whether or not integration is important. If if we are if more black people are moving up the economic strata and are sitting at tables where we did not sit before and are influencing scientific research, influencing housing access, influencing changes to policy, influencing influencing the DA's office to finally admit the racism that goes on in its own house and making that public, then then there are these next steps. Right. So I am one that is in favor of recognizing the need to get to the table, to have the voice heard and to gain the influence to make the change. I love that. I think it's important. My joy. 
I appreciate you. Tell the people how they can find you, stay locked, all that good stuff, and support the Human uh, Rights Coalition at the same time. Uh, HRC.org. HRC.org, the Human Rights uh, Coalition. That that is our that is our website. Um, and for those of you who might want to get in touch with me specifically, you can reach me at bprestonlyles uh, at gmail.com. Thank you, BP, man. I hope you have a great weekend. Stay warm out here this weekend. Thank you, PLC. Appreciate the time. No doubt, man. We about to go to a quick commercial break. Right after this quick commercial break, we have another guest coming through talking about the topic today, breadlining. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 